For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Powerful. We've been thinking over the past days about spiritual warfare. That's one of the key verses. Let's see, however, the church putting this into practice. Putting this into practice. Turn, for example, to Acts chapter 12. We find Peter in prison. Peter in prison. But, that's one of the most significant buts in the New Testament. Prayer was made without ceasing. Prayer was made without ceasing by the church unto God for him. You know, somebody wrote a book here in California a couple of years ago and said any meeting in your church that you have to push, like the prayer meeting, forget it. Cancel it. Get rid of it. You know, thousands of churches in America, tens of thousands, no longer have any real prayer meetings. The church is all talking about what happened with that great television uh, program and that television speaker. But I will tell you, what has happened with that man is nothing compared to what's ahead of us. If as a nation and as a church, we don't turn away from prayerlessness, we don't get back to biblical New Testament Christianity, which is so different to the average evangelicalism we find in America today, it's hardly recognizable. If we don't turn back to God and back to the Bible and back to spiritual reality and spiritual warfare, what has happened in that situation will look like a drop in the ocean. Already one of the great men of God in our nation said 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that moral impurity was on an epidemic stage. What comes to the surface is nothing compared to what is under the surface. And if people on the fundamentalist side think the trouble is in the charismatic side, or the people on the charismatic side think it's all on the fundamentalist side, they obviously are fairly ignorant because the devil is no respecter of persons. And within the fundamental churches, we have had some of the most gross and grotesque perversion and immorality in America that would never even be written about because it's so horrendous. And unfortunately, we have it on the mission field. Lesbianism, homosexuality, perversion, incest. Satan is a roaring lion seeketh whom he may devour. And in America, we have specialized in playing church. A.W. Tozer was raised up of God as a prophet to our nation to warn us against the easy believism, the spiritual game playing, the lack of reality in worship and prayer and in every other area of our lives. But we as a nation would not listen. We preferred our mere materialism. We preferred our cocktail of mixing American culture with a few texts from the New Testament and coming up with a high-bred form of evangelical Christianity that is not found in the book of Acts. It is not found in the New Testament. 
This is why I believe nothing short of spiritual revolution will turn the tide of compromise and unbelief and lukewarmness, the greatest sin of all according to the book of Revelation, and bring us back to that place of power and reality and book of Acts Christianity. You can be sure it won't happen overnight. Tozer, in speaking about materialism, said it won't go out by raising your hand at a little gospel meeting on Sunday night. It will go out as a tooth being extracted from the jaw. Another man of God said there'll be no gain without pain in our Christian lives. And yet, as a nation of tending towards self-centered people who so often live by feelings, we don't seem to be willing to endure too much so-called pain of any kind in order to accomplish God's purposes. Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. This was no little 15-minute prayer session sandwiched in between a load of gossip. These were people persevering, following in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as it says in Luke, spent whole nights in prayer. If the Son of the living God had to spend whole nights in prayer, what about the likes of us? Peter was miraculously delivered as these people used the weapons of their warfare. And so we find him quite some time later going to the house, verse 12, of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying, not playing. We've confused those two. Praying, P-R-A-Y. I-N-G. Peter knocked at the door of the gate and the maid came to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. Obviously, they were not exercising quite enough faith. Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, it's an angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. For he beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went unto another place. Spiritual warfare by the whole church. Church after church I go to, only a tiny percentage of people ever come out to the prayer meetings. I don't know anything about your college, but I know in many of our Christian colleges and Bible colleges, there would be less than 10% that would have an active prayer life in which they specifically were seeing God do great things through prayer. I studied at Moody Bible Institute. In case you think this problem is new to your generation, I can assure you, assure you it isn't. A high percentage of the students that I studied with, studied with didn't even acknowledge that they were following Jesus Christ. They didn't even pretend. Prayer was a mockery. 
Only 15 or 20 percent got involved in any of the missionary prayer meetings. And they used to moan because some prayer meetings were required and most of that thought, most of them thought it was a pain in the neck. If we think that we can graduate men and women of New Testament reality from the average Bible college and Christian college in America, you know, we must be extremely naive. We need revival, brothers and sisters. We need revolution. We need to turn to the pages of the book of Acts and cry out to God that this kind of spirit-filled reality, this kind of discipline. Why do we have so many men of God in all different camps falling into immorality? It's not just the ones that are on television. It happens every week. For those of us who are involved in counseling Christian leaders, corresponding with Christian leaders, I've had 15,000 letters as a result of just one of my books. We know that every week another man of God gets wiped out. This doesn't stun us. This doesn't shock us. This doesn't sort of knock down our faith in the Word of God or Christianity. To the contrary, we know this is what the Word of God teaches. What happened to David when he was on the roof instead of in the battlefront? By this one woman who was washing herself on the other roof. Not long ago I saw the video cassette. David, not too accurate, tried to follow it in my Bible. But most of it at least came from the stories of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. You know, that's the other side of the coin, and I'm glad it's there. God's mercy. God's forgiveness. Because I tell you, if you think you're looking at some laser beam disciple who lives all this book about Acts message out, you know, 24 hours a day, you better put your spiritual binoculars on. I come to you not as someone who has arrived at these things. I come as someone who's hungry and thirsty. I come as someone who's tired of the status quo. I come as someone with a burden to see the church revived, to see the book of Acts again lived out among God's people. I've seen a little. I've seen enough to convince me it's possible. I've seen it on the mission field. I've seen it in some local churches. I've seen it in some small groups. I've seen it in some colleges. It is possible. You get a lot of people praying for revival in a very futuristic way. You know, praying that revival will someday, someday come to their church. Some are praying for revival in the nation. And I'm not opposed to that. You need a lot of wisdom. You need discernment. Let me tell you the good news about revival. And I can't separate revival from spiritual warfare. The good news about revival is that it is your inheritance in Jesus Christ. If you are cold, if you are lukewarm this morning, if you're not experiencing the fire of God and the joy and the reality and the fruit of the Spirit, that's no one's fault but yours. That's no one's fault but yours. You can't pray some little prayer, Lord, touch me. Oh, Lord, change me. This is what we often pray in England. I'm not saying you can't pray something like that. But as a believer, if you are a serious disciple of Jesus Christ, the moment you pray, you take a step of faith to appropriate all that is yours in Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? So many people are missing God's best. In fact, we have a lot of places today where 
uh, we, we listen to backsliders' testimonies. I don't know if you've ever heard of a backsliders' testimony. I'm not against it. Don't misunderstand me. You know, someone that came to Christ and they drifted away and they came back to Christ and they drifted away and they came back and they drifted away. And so we get these people up in the church and they tell their backsliders' testimony. We all sit there. Ooh, praise the Lord. He's come back. Ooh, well, that's sort of similar in my situation. And you know what happens through listening to a lot of this? We get the idea that backsliding is normal. Growing cold is normal, right? We all got to drift out to the desert for a few months or a few years. We all got to sow our wild oats for a few years. I mean, if great men of God backslide and get cold and drift away and go to bed with some chick and then come back and, and, and get forgiven and press on, then, well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the normal Christian life, right? Wrong. And I only share this to bring it into balance. If it sounds like a boast, may God cleanse and break my wretched heart. But I'll tell you from the day God saved me in Madison Square Garden at 16 years of age, by His power, by His grace, to this day, I don't even know what the date is, but I think it's 87, the year, every single day, I've sensed and known the power of God and the forgiveness of God and the revival that is my inheritance in Jesus Christ. Not because I'm somebody. I'm a struggler. I'm a failure. I'm a doubter. Maybe some of you are naturally spiritual. A few of you have a little bit of a natural spiritual glimmer. It may just be the light. Maybe you're naturally spiritual. You just go on and on in the things of the Spirit. Everything is better and better and better. You're looking at a natural backslider. If God doesn't touch me every day, my heart grows cold and my passion for the lost begins to dwindle. If I don't meet Jesus and His Word every day of my life, I can get into lust as quick as a grasshopper into wheat. I can get into arrogance and pride and unbelief and doubt. I continually stand amazed at how God could even save a worm like me, much less use me in world missions for a few decades. Brothers and sisters, great faith, great faith is not in the absence of doubt, struggle, failure, fear. Great faith is as we battle through in His name. Great faith is as we daily stand upon His promises. We understand the nature of warfare, spiritual warfare. As Paul said to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Sure, I at times have found the Christian life hard. Many times I have wanted to quit. I wonder if any of you get the heavy temptations. I know a lot of Christians get sort of mild temptations. You know, they get a little tempted about, you know, putting a frog under their girlfriend's pillow or some other temptation. But I, and I wish it weren't true, I get these heavy temptations. And I got it when I was in Bible college. I don't want to project my problems on you. But it was when I was in Bible college there in Chicago, the old life and the old memories began to come by. I was a bit fed up with the whole place. It seemed to me a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of game playing. And I wondered, is Christianity really as true? If these people are demonstrations of Christianity, then I think I'd rather be some kind of a dinosaur. And I thought, I'm going to go out that night. I'm going to get a woman. I'm going to get a bottle and I'm going to get plastered. And I walked toward the door. I lived in the YMCA. They had no room for me in the inn or the institute. And I walked toward the door and 
God just hit me with his word. I'd been memorizing. I started memorizing scripture as a babe in Christ. And God hit me with that verse from Galatians. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he shall also reap. And you know, a lot of the crazy things I thought I would do when I was a scared young Christian, I've never done. Because God's keeping power. Because revival is our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Because we can learn how to wear the whole armor. Do you know why we have many of these casualties? First of all, let me say, no matter how committed we are to Christ, no matter how much revival and blessing, there will be some casualties. It's total war. Maxwell, the founder of Prairie Bible Institute, said, World missions, total war. And it's true. But I believe a lot of these casualties we have are because we have not understood our inheritance in Jesus Christ. We have not, therefore, understood the Spirit-filled life. We have not understood what it talks about in the Bible of being crucified with Christ. We have not understood what it is to really bring self under the crucifying power of the cross. And lastly, we have not understood God's training program. Because of the way things are in our culture, it's possible to become very famous. Radio, television, this thing, that thing. Very famous. Even have an outstanding church. Even be a pastor without ever having gone through a spiritual intensive boot camp in which self, day after day and month after month, is crucified and dealt with. This is why I'm such a high appreciator of the Navigator ministry, which I'm sure you've heard about. Because they saw in the Word of God the need for man-to-man discipling. It's not just a matter of getting a special blessing. Hallelujah when we get special blessings. I believe there are crisis experiences in the Christian life. I've had almost too many myself. But if that crisis is not followed by God's process, it will become an abscess. But there is no substitute for disciplined, rigorous, tough training in spiritual combat. That's why we have Hebrews chapter 12. What does it speak about in Hebrews 12? It says we're running a race. Have you seen that film, Chariots of Fire? When Eric Little, who later became a missionary to China, falls down in the race, falls down in the race, and he gets back up. And my, those slow motion cameras really made that look beautiful. And he got back into the race. I have failed the Lord many times. I have fallen along the track. I have crawled back into the grandstands and said, God, I want to watch other people. I don't want to run anymore. But I found a verse in the Word of God that says, Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. One of my top 20 problems in my life. And determined that by God's grace, the sun was not going to go down upon my anger. And I would repent and be cleansed by God's precious blood through Jesus Christ. You know one of my favorite verses? I bet you can guess it. 1 John chapter 2. Goal number one, sin not. That's my goal each day as I meet with God and He meets with me. Goal number two, if you sin. I noticed from reading the feedback of all those Biola students that many were intimidated. Get this, intimidated by their own failures. 
You get a lot of young people today that don't feel they're spiritual. Join the club. I've never felt very spiritual. I don't think I'm the type. I'm not A.W. Tozer. But I can listen to what he says. And I can learn. And I can enroll in God's school of worship. And the little I have experience of the inner sanctuary of worship and power means so much to me that I'm willing to work day and night until that next time of drink, drinking deep at that fountain of living water comes my way. And I believe many people are defeated because of satanic intimidation. Linked with this are many of the false ideas we have about spirituality. Many of the various forms of perfectionism in disguise. And we discovered in our own work where we attracted, and we've had about 40,000 people trained and graduate from our OM programs around the world, most of them outside of the States. We discovered that first of all, Satan tries to keep you from real commitment, keep you from the fullness of the Spirit, keep you from a crucified life, keep you from spiritual combat. But as you begin to move by faith, you begin to live in the light of your inheritance, personal revival, the fullness of the Spirit, the joy and the power of God, power in prayer, power in witnessing. As you begin to move along this highway of spiritual reality and holiness, Satan changes his strategy and tries to get you in extremism. And I could almost take bets, I don't do that, that one out of twenty in this school that has such a great biblical emphasis and has already tremendous teaching and proclamation, but I can almost assure that one out of twenty, if you are not careful, you will end up in one of the many forms of extremism that is dragging the body of Christ into the dirt in many places in the world. Beware of it. I can testify because I'm a natural extremist. I find a verse and I say, by God's grace to the death, we're going to obey that verse. I remember when I hit Luke 14:33. Except you forsake all that you have, you can't be my disciple. And I started to preach that around Moody Bible Institute. I opened a store in my bedroom for selling all the material possessions that were being forsaken. And all the sort of semi-backsliders I thought, that wasn't really true, came to my room to buy these things. And as I'd buy them, I'd pray for them as they moved out the door, touch their hearts. They'd come back a few days later, resell it. And uh, we saw some crazy things happen. I thought I was really getting sanctified. I thought I was really committed. Many, many people had come to Christ through my ministry. Many Mexicans. The work was already born in Mexico. I thought I was really getting sanctified. I was reading these Andrew Murray books and Watchman E books and I was drinking and all this A.W. Tozer and you name it, I was reading it. And then something happened, something mega hyper big. God's graduate school. I got married. And for any of you who are extremists, let me just warn you, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't get married and ruin someone else's life with your extremism. By God's mercy, through books like Calvary Road, 
through men and women that were working with me and weren't afraid to exhort me and to show me where I was going astray, I learned what it was to repent. And I learned what it was to bring my extremism under the beautiful guiding hand of Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 13 became a controlling factor in my life. And it brought a revolution in my marriage. We need people who are on fire. We need soldiers of Jesus Christ who are determined to walk the way of biblical New Testament Christianity, whether it's here or to the uttermost parts of the earth. But those people, at any cost, whatever the cost, must know spiritual balance. They must know mercy as well as discipline. They must know forgiveness as well as God's standards for living righteously. They must know what it is to deal with subtle forms of intimidation and the swings of the pendulum. Do you know why many young people are defeated? They have false ideas about sanctification. We in America, in some churches, specialize in calling things worldly that have nothing to do with worldliness. We have very little place and very little understanding of culture and the place of culture, the place of the arts, the place of music. There are many things that sometimes we call worldly that are not worldly. And I thank God that He led me out of this country. I'm not saying you needed it, but I did because I was an ugly American. I saw a communist coming around every doorstep. If you wore a red tie, you were in trouble with me. And God showed me that I had been brainwashed into something that was not biblical. And He took me to Mexico and I offended Mexicans and I had to repent. And He took me to Spain and I met Spaniards and Swiss and Swedes and and English. And I met people who are absolutely committed to Jesus Christ, yet often drank wine at their meals. I was preaching against alcohol. That was the devil's phlegm. And I had powerful messages on this subject. And I just thank God, I thank God that into my life he brought a close friend and associate, Dr. Francis Schaefer, and through him and his wife and a few other patient people, I began to understand the human factor, the place of the arts and culture and freedom in the life of a believer. And God broke the stereotype view I had of being a soldier of Jesus Christ, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in Europe, after a few years, God just set me free. And I will tell you, without being free, with all the challenges, with all the messages, with the the burden of the loss that has been on my mind almost every day for 32 years, with all the commands of the Word of God, if God doesn't set you free, To understand yourself, to accept your own humanity. What does that mean? Simply believing God's Word. This treasure is in earthen vessels. At the best, we are often weak. Billy Graham said life at its best is filled with sadness. You will fail. You will make mistakes. You will sometimes sin. Sin. They can be stepping stones to success. Some of you know my friend, God Smuggler, Brother Andrew. We were together not so long ago. He's a Dutchman as well. This morning you've got Brother George, God's bungler. The guy who blew it. 
because so many times I have failed. Praise God for Erwin Lutzer's book, the author of Living With Your Passions, the most significant book for young people of this generation. In this decade, his other book, When a Good Man Falls, should be read by every Christian leader in America. But my favorite book, I haven't even read it, just the title ministered to me. Failure, backdoor to success. Hallelujah. That's why I'm still here. I have failed many times. My wife, my family, my co-workers, my Savior. But I know my inheritance in Jesus Christ. And I know that when I sin and when I fail, or when I'm confused or doubting or struggling or fearful, Jesus doesn't leave me. He doesn't forsake me at that moment. When I was in prison by the Soviets, yeah, I was going to smuggle things into the Soviet Union. And on the third day to my own gifted stupidity, I was arrested by the secret police and accused of being a spy. I mean, do I look like a spy? <laughs> and God just broke me during those days. They finally decided I was a religious fanatic and released me. And I went for a day of prayer. I went for a day of prayer in the mountains of Germany or Austria. And there, God first gave me the real, deeper vision of what OM was to become. It wasn't called OM at that time. It was called Send the Light, mainly in Mexico and Spain. And God gave me this burden to see Europeans mobilize, move with compassion. Matthew 9, mobilize to reach all of Europe and then to spill over into the communist world, the Muslim world, the Hindu world. And all that's happened can be traced back in one sense. First, of course, to the lady who prayed for me when I first came to know Christ, but then, to some degree, to that failure in the Soviet Union. Don't be intimidated by your failures. It takes time to make men and women of God. 10, 15, 20 years. Don't get impatient with your spiritual growth rate. Don't allow that pendulum in, in which one minute you're praising God and taking the world for Christ and the next minute you're depressed and discouraged because somehow you failed or this prayer is not answered or this thing hasn't happened or something else has gone wrong. Develop spiritual stability and stickability, the greatest miracles needed in the church in the 20th century. And never forget, it's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. It's the Lord Jesus living in you, cleansing, forgiving, renewing, that makes the difference. Jesus is revival. Worship Jesus. Follow Him. Love Him. The first thing isn't whether you become a missionary or not. The first thing isn't whether you do this or do that or go here or go there. The first thing is Jesus. Worshipping Him, walking with Him, loving Him, focusing upon Him, seeking His face. And as you develop that love walk, love life with Jesus, you will change. Maybe it'll be a long journey like me, but you will change. You will slowly become more like Jesus Christ. And I know that if God can take a stumbling, fumbling weak, struggling character like me and use me a little for his kingdom that there is enormous hope for every man and woman in this gymnasium. Believe God. Take steps of faith this day, this week, every day to live in the light of your inheritance to be God's soldier but also to be God's friend. 
and to know the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. That will be, by God's grace, a demonstration of New Testament Christianity. Let us pray.